Hey, business leaders, chances are very high that if you have employees, you're leaving money on the table. That's right. We're talking 26000 per W-2 employee. Over 75% of firms are cashing in big with the employee retention tax credit. Yeah, this will be a game changer for you, but you need help from the pros. By going through your ERTC solution, their CPAs will chase down every cent for you. No machine guessing, just real expertise. Quickly head over to actionertc.com a few clicks and you're all set. That's actionertc.com. Don't leave money on the table. Head on over to actionertc.com. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Hey, glad you are here. Thanks for choosing to spend time with us. We are grateful and we would be even more grateful if you could let someone else know about the Love in Action podcast and share it on social media because doing so will help us get to our goal of 1 million downloads. So if you follow my writings on Inc.com or CNBC, you know that I'm a big fan of Warren Buffett. I mean, I've written several times about the legendary investor, really the most accomplished investor of all time by my book. So the CEO and chair of Berkshire Hathaway has earned admiration for not only his financial feats, but also the philosophy behind them. You know, if you're a Buffett fan yourself, you're going to enjoy this episode. And if you know somebody that is a Warren Buffett fan, please make sure that you share this episode with that person. Because today, we're going to get as close as we can to Warren Buffett, the man himself. Believe me, I, I've tried reaching out to his camp to get an interview with them, but that's just not going to happen, I don't think, in my lifetime. He's a busy guy. He rarely does interviews. So today, I'm bringing in a family friend of Warren's, someone that knows him personally and, and can speak about him directly through his own observations. Todd Finkel will join us shortly. Dr. Finkel wrote a book recently simply titled Warren Buffett, Investor and Entrepreneur. And in this book, Dr. Finkel provides new insights into Buffett's career through the lens of entrepreneurship. You know, going all the way back to Buffett's early life and business ventures and all the paths that shaped Buffett's career from selling gum door to door during childhood. Yeah, he did that. To forming and developing Berkshire Hathaway as, uh, into a global con conglomerate that it is today. So if you're curious about Warren Buffett, the person, his investment methodology, management strategy, and, and biggest lessons and the mistakes that he made along his journey, you'll want to get this book and stick around because I'm going to ask some questions that will give you a, a good deep dive into not only the book, but Warren Buffett himself. So who is Dr. Todd Finkel? He is the Piggott Professor of Entrepreneurship at Gonzaga University. Dr. Finkel is also an investor, entrepreneur, speaker, and consultant who has worked with a variety of organizations, 
and Dr. Finkel now joins us. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you for having me, Marcel. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I have a lot of respect for people that have started podcasts. You guys are the consummate entrepreneurs, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm glad that you're finally here because the listeners don't know, know the backstory. We've gone back and forth probably about six months now to get you on the show, and and here we are on the Labor Day, <laughs> September 4, 2023, uh, and you were kind enough to uh, take the day off, and I have the day off, so here we are. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, we start the show with this question. You ready? Yep. What's your story? I'll just take you all the way back to when I was a kid. I grew up in Omaha, which is where Warren is from. And uh, where I grew up was only, I'd say, a couple miles away from uh, the family grocery store. Warren's grandfather had a grocery store, and it was in an area called Dundee in Omaha. Uh, and Warren himself didn't, you know, he he was grew up pretty close to that. Uh, as well. And he actually worked at his uh, grandfather's uh, grocery store. And I forgot, I have a funny story about that later. But, you know, I grew up there and I have uh, four brothers that were all entrepreneurs. My father was an entrepreneur. Um, so, and I, I used to do a lot of entrepreneurial things as a kid, similar to Warren. I went to junior high and high school with Pete Buffett, who's Warren's youngest kid. He was a couple years older than me, so I didn't really know him personally until I got into high school and a whole gang of guys that I hung around with uh, were friends with Pete. And he went by Pete. He didn't go by Peter. And we used to eat lunch in the cafeteria all the time. So I got to know him uh, a little bit. You know, he used to wear ripped up jeans and a baseball cap, uh, and nobody knew that his dad was a Warren Buffett. This was in 1976. Then I, I got more so into, after I went to college and uh, got into investments, I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And long story short, I ended up going on and getting a PhD in entrepreneurship, which back then there were only a couple schools that offered a degree in entrepreneurship. So I was kind of a, a pioneer in the field of entrepreneurship within academia. And uh, then Long story short, I ended up working at, you know, four universities and and I'm at Gonzaga University. Uh, before I went to Gonzaga, I, I uh, got a call from my friend or my cousin, Steve Nog, and he goes, Todd, you need to bring your, your students to Omaha because Warren Buffett is inviting universities so he can spend a day with them. So I thought, oh, God, what a great opportunity. Thanks, Steve. You know, uh, so I, I just thought, well, how am I going to do this? You know, how am I going to sell Warren Buffett, you know, probably the most successful businessman maybe of all time to invite my school to go visit him? Uh, and so I thought uh, the application can't be longer than one page. He's too busy. And so I just thought, oh, I'll throw in Pete's name because I went to school with Pete. You know, that that should be a shoe-in. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and I was doing some great things. You know, I, I started a nonprofit while I was a professor externally from the university. 
And we were providing with some other schools, we were providing free entrepreneurship education for the kids in the region. So I thought that that was a, a great opportunity too, but, but, you know, I got a rejection right away from the secretary. She goes, the list of people that want to go see Warren Buffett is years long. Don't even bother to put your name on the list. So me knowing Pete, I, I could tell that that's not the way that Warren operated. Warren uh, wants you to earn. It's not about who you know with him. It's about kind of who are you and, and how do you differentiate yourself from everybody else? How, how are you? Uh, the, the two things I learned from this whole process are persistence that he loves and people that are creative and innovative that think outside of the box. And, you know, two things that are, are so important in life and in success. And uh, so I didn't put my name on the list, but I, I thought I wanted to learn as much as I could about Warren Buffett because he's Warren Buffett. Who doesn't want to learn about Warren Buffett? Right. And so I wrote a case study about Warren Buffett over a two-year period during the Great Recession, and I sent it off to an academic journal. It got accepted, and then I had this epiphany. Yeah, hey, why don't I send this this case study to Warren and see if he'll invite us to go visit him? And sure enough, within ten days, I got a letter back inviting us to Omaha in November of, of two thousand and nine. Of course, that was the same year of the the end of the Great Recession in March. March 9th of 2009, where the I think the S&P was down, what was it down, 52% at that time? Something like that. So uh, we went to Omaha. It was awesome. Just a, a great opportunity. We spent a day with Warren Buffett, went to some of his uh, subsidiaries, and uh, we had a two-and-a-half-hour Q&A with Buffett, and that's in my book. Uh, I did this three times. This was the most memorable for me, because, probably because it was the first. But yeah, I took notes on the Q&A. You weren't supposed to record them uh, or anything. He didn't want you doing that. And uh, each school, there were six schools there, could ask three questions each. So we kind of went through that, uh, all my students and I, about what we were going to ask him. And we went out to lunch with him. I sat right across from him at lunch. and. I asked him, I was thinking about what to ask him, okay? You know, I wrote this case study on him, so I knew so much about him already. And the, the most important thing for me, I think almost everybody, is how do you value a company? That's what I ask him. You know, how do you value a company, Warren? And he goes, the discounted cash flow. And I thought that that was probably a little bit too simplistic. Uh, and uh, then I asked him again, <laughs> hoping I was going to get more. And he uh, he just said the discounted cash flow. So I I didn't ask him a third time. I just I knew that that he wasn't going to go any further than that. But we all know that it's much more than that. Yeah. You know? And 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 since then, so that was kind of the initiation for me writing the book. Is okay. What's his secret sauce? What's he doing? To become so successful. And that was one of the initiations for writing the book, you know, and the first, uh, it took me 14 years to write this book, by the way. The first nine years were all these trips that I took in the shareholder meetings and everything. And I didn't even think about writing the book until I had so much material 
and primary research that I knew I could differentiate my book from other books that were out there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say uh, about, you know, why is it that you wrote this book? Well, I kind of went back and forth on whether or not to write a book for, for quite a while. And my friends were kind of against it because I hang, hung around with all these finance professors and uh, they all said, well, how are you going to differentiate it? And and so me being the, the entrepreneur that I am, uh, I didn't listen to them and I went with my gut. Uh, and I, I just thought that I could write a book that differentiates, uh, my knowledge versus what was out there from what, you know, there's a lot of books on Buffett, but most of them aren't any good. <laughs> you know, like a book on his quotes, you know, I could go on Google and and get that. Right. So th there are some really good books that are out there, but I just didn't feel like there were a ton of really good quality books. And really the last biography that I read was in 2008. And my book is, is more like a biography of Buffett, but also it goes into his investment methodology with three chapters and a chapter on uh, behavioral biases and a chapter on the investment mistakes that he's made. And then I apply the behavioral biases that Buffett used uh, or happened to participate in. Right, right. And he did the mistakes so we can all learn from that. Yeah, I want to really get into those biases. That That's so intriguing to me and, and sticking with the conversation around the behaviors and the values and the biases, because anybody can just go and, and and read about his investment strategies anywhere. A Google search will land you in the right places. But I'm so intrigued by what Warren Buffett was able to see through his own eyes, right? And especially in his early life. Uh, let's talk maybe a little bit about his earliest success. You know, I mentioned in my introduction as a kid, he was selling bubble gum. But what would you say was his earliest success in life? The biggest surprise to me in writing the book was that he came from a really tough background. Most people think, oh, he's just a rich guy. Right. But really, his uh, he grew up in the Depression, and his father lost his job, and the family lost all their money. His mother was having mental health issues and took a lot of abuse out on the kids, including Warren, and telling him he was worthless. And not that long after that, you know, when he was around four years old, he started to become an entrepreneur and he was selling lemonade on his neighbor's uh, driveway. And then he got into selling gum door to door and Coke door to door. He was doing so many entrepreneurial things throughout his youth that he made $76,000 by the time he graduated. My favorite one, by the way, yeah, is uh, the pinball machine. <laughs> he st he started to put pinball machines in barber shops and split the the money 50-50 <laughs> with the owners. That's great. And uh I, I kind of have a sentimental uh uh heart for that because I used to drive up in, in the Benson area, which is in Omaha, uh, and go uh ride my bike up there and play pinball in the in the uh barber shop. Yeah. Uh and you know, he read every book in the Omaha Public Library on, on the stock market by the time he was 10. 
Uh, when he was 10, he, there was a quote by him that said, I don't want to work for anybody. I want to be my own boss. And he understood that money was the, the way he was going to be able to do that. Right. So at age 10, he want, he knew he wanted to be an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, at age 10, I had no clue what the word entrepreneur meant. But Warren knew that he wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's great. That's great. Well, so let's let's flash forward a little bit to you know his his adult life now. I can't stress enough the the importance of having mentors in your life. Uh, everyone should surround themselves with mentors and advisors to guide you guide you along, right? And and two of Buffett's uh, uh, major mentors were Benjamin Graham and Phil Fisher. Talk a little bit about their influence on Buffett and, and really how they impacted his life. Probably the biggest influence on Warren was his father, Howard Buffett, and, and his wife, Susie, uh, uh, as far as being able to, how would he put it? He would put it emotionally, she made up for what he didn't have because mm. uh, he was on a different level than all of us, you know, <laughs> communication, social skills, things like that. You know, and Benjamin Graham, of course, was his introduction into investments, into to value investments. And he learned from him. He was the only A-plus student that Benjamin Graham uh, ever gave uh, an A-plus to. And, uh, and then he went ahead and tried to get a job with Benjamin Graham on Wall Street, uh, and to learn about, you know, uh, hedging and, uh, and things of, of that nature. Benjamin Graham didn't hire him. Uh, he went back home and worked for his dad's uh, financial firm, his uh, brokerage firm. He did that for five years, but he kept in touch with Benjamin Graham. And he eventually got hired uh, on Wall Street. And he worked there for a couple of years and he became a millionaire. And uh, he was going to quit. Altogether, he moved back to Omaha. He was going to take some college classes. And uh, his family said, no, you're not. You're going to manage our money because they knew how smart he was. And he ended up starting this, uh, again, uh, being an entrepreneur, uh, an investment partnership. And he did that for, I think, 13 years. And his average rate of return was 36%. And in that period of time, he met Charlie Munger, yeah. Uh, who introduced him to Phil Fisher's methodology of investing in quality companies over the long term. And don't just look at the the balance sheet or the financials like Graham used to do, but looking at the totality of a company like the management team and the sales team and the research and development. Uh, and he, he was just a brilliant man. And so Buffett, used to say he was 85% Graham and 15% uh, uh, Fisher, but I think it's much more so uh, you got to put Buffett in there now too. Yeah. Because he kind of has created his own investment philosophy. Right. You know, and, another and guy that really had a huge impact on him is Tom Murphy. Right. On the management strategy side of things. Yeah. I'm so impressed. Tom Murphy, I mean, and, and Warren would always talk about Tom Murphy mm. all the time. He still does. 
Yeah. And, and, uh, well, to your point, back to Charlie, you know, um, Charlie introducing Lauren to Phil and how, so that tells me how much influence Charlie had over, over Warren throughout their co-partnership. And speaking of folks, Buffett turned 94 just a few days ago. I mean, we're recording this on Labor Day. Uh, Buffett's birthday was on August 30th. And Charlie Munger is going to turn 100 in January. That is hard to believe. That's great, isn't it? Oh, man. So I I think it's fantastic. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, to keep their their minds so sharp, uh, and uh, I'm sure it has has to do with that. You know, they keep themselves busy. They they just they are consummate readers. Uh, take take on so much information, and cognitively speaking, you know, the the brain stays active that way. When they when uh, when they spent you know the majority of their days reading and learning and and acquiring information, so I can see why. Uh, they're still active and sharp, even at that age. And eating C's candy. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, uh, and and of course, you know, Dairy Queen ice cream, right? <laughs> you know, when I when I wrote the, uh, I did everything different with it when I wrote the book. I, I, I didn't want anybody to give me any deadlines. So I wrote the book on my own time. And then I sent the rough draft to, to Warren and Charlie along to get their approval. And I sent a big box of the uh, uh, C's candy, the uh, whatever. But yeah, so uh, I'll think of it. So that was the that was probably the clincher right there. Yeah, as soon as they saw that, definitely. Oh, it's going to be a great book. <laughs> oh wow! So you know, Buffett has an endless array of 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 life advice and tips on on great living not you know not just the, his investment strategy and a lot of my ink articles kind of touch on that side of Warren Buffett so i want to ask ask you to expand on something buffett said and 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 what he meant he's alluded to having as much fun now in his 90s <laughs> And, and maybe he said this earlier than '90s. I I don't know exactly when the quote was, but he said that he's he's having as much fun now as when he had ten thousand dollars. So this is from someone that's someone that's worth one hundred and six billion today. So what did he mean by that? I think he he just means uh, do what you love, mm. you know. And and my interpretation is a little bit different than his, but. Uh, you can do what you love, but you have to be able to to pay your bills. Yeah. So there's a stipulation there that he doesn't say, but, you know, and and I can relate to that because there was a point in my life where I wanted to to work in the financial markets and they were going to pay me $7 an hour. That's what I wanted to do, but I couldn't afford it. Yeah. So he doesn't really say that, but, you know, for the common person, You've got to keep that in mind. Not everybody can do what they want to do if they can't afford it. Yeah. They have responsibilities. Yeah. But he's right. He's absolutely right. You should be driving for doing whatever you're passionate about, what you love. Not everybody agrees with that, but I, I tend to agree with that because then work is is like fun. You're not looking at the clock all day. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And sp- Okay, so fun is one thing. I think we're speaking to values or Warren's values and what drove him. So 
let's let's go a little deeper on on his core values. Um, simplicity is certainly one of them. Uh, I'm not sure if, if that's the same as being frugal or if thrifty. I mean, the guy has lived in the same modest house in Omaha, Nebraska, since what 1957, right? Yeah, for, he bought it for thirty-one thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah. So what else drives Warren? What would you say are those deeply rooted values that keep them going un, you know, unchanged from the 50s onward? Uh, he'll tell you he loves what he does. Mm-hmm. He loves the people that he works with. He cares about the people that he works with. And uh, he only has 26 people at his uh, corporate headquarters in Omaha. Uh, which is, I think, on the 14th floor of the uh, Kiewit building. And he's been there forever. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, a friend of mine, actually, uh, Parso's Fashion started out in that same building. And Buffett used to go in there and buy suits. And my best friend growing up was Steve Parso. So his father owned Parso's Fashions. And <laughs> I would get some interesting tidbits. And his older brother, actually was friends with uh, Warren. Warren would come in there and uh, uh, Warren gave him some hints. And now he does what Warren does. Yeah. Let's get into um, maybe his character. He talks a lot about integrity. I've written about, you know, how important Warren thinks integrity is. And now he has repeatedly emphasized that like hiring managers you know, I wrote this a few times that uh, if you're a hiring manager, you should look for integrity and character when assessing job candidates for key positions. So here's a quote that I, I always use in my articles. He said, in looking for people to hire, you look for three qualities, integrity, intelligence, and energy. And if they don't have the first, the other two will kill you. <laughs> so wh- where does this heavy emphasis on you know, character and integrity come from? Is that something that maybe he saw early on that that kind of bit him in the butt and then he just had a turnaround story? Or what would you say is this, is, where does that come from? I think it, it comes from their family. Mm. Uh, not necessarily just him. You know, maybe some of it's from his own experience. Uh but I think that's that's a core value that's been driven into him by his uh, grandfather, maybe even great grandfather, uh, when they they moved over from from France. Uh, you know, frugality is another core value that he got, yeah, from his family. You know, that wasn't necessarily anybody else, but you know, that was driven into him by his grandfather. You know, another thing that might have had a huge effect on him, Marcella, is hmm. the uh, Solomon Brothers uh, incident where there was a trader that was doing illegal things. And and he he and Charlie had to go down there and testify because of that. And he, he almost lost his reputation because of that. And, you know, I've been to 14 shareholder meetings, two online because of COVID. But at every shareholder meeting, what he does is he shows him testifying at the trial, and he talks about the importance of of integrity. And if an employee does something that that hurts the integrity of the firm, he'll he'll get rid of them. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, because it, it violates the values of the organization, not only that, but also your own values if you operate that way. So, yeah, yeah, it's the non-negotiables, right, Todd? Yeah, you know, uh, he's got that right. Mm-hmm. He has got that right. And, you know, a lot. another thing is, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, from writing this book, has really changed me personally and, and my own values and the way I look at things, not only investments, you know, there's more to life than just money. You know, money is important and everything. But even my students said when they were coming out of all these uh, talks with Buffett that the most important thing that they learned were uh, uh, how to live your life. It wasn't about money. It was about the things that they learned from him about how to live your life. Like the most important decision that you'll make is who you marry. Uh, That's the first time I ever heard that from anybody. (laughs) It was from Warren when we went to go visit him. And that was one of the first things that he said to us. Yeah. So what do you think changed you the most? I remember sitting in the front row and he was looking right at me when he said this that the most successful business people that he's met in his life are not the ones with the high-powered degrees, but the ones that had the most business experience that thought way outside of the box. A good example of that is uh, the Nebraska Furniture Mart. The lady that started that was from uh, Belarus, and she didn't know how to speak English or write English when she came over from from Belarus to uh, Omaha, and she built up this company from scratch, uh, and she sold it to Warren for like sixty million on a handshake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. No college, didn't even know English, and here she is selling a sixty million dollar business to Warren. So that that was something that really, I I talk about that every semester to my students. I always mention that to them, meaning that, you know, go out there and get some experience. Yeah. Learn about business, experience it, learn from your mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. They say, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough, right? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of mistakes, Warren made many of them. And uh, maybe we can segue into the biases part of your book uh, because he attributes some of the biases to messing up big time, right? Unpack that for us. So he, he, uh, there were 21 mistakes that I pointed out in the book. The biggest one, of course, is buying Berkshire Hathaway. And he bought that and he'll come out and tell you that that's the biggest mistake that he's made and he's lost anywhere from 300 to 500 billion dollars uh from from buying Berkshire Hathaway uh and uh he did it 5 days his father died 5 days before he bought Berkshire and he was trying to buy it for like 1250 a share his shares to the CEO of Berkshire and the guy agreed to twelve fifty a share. And then when the written contract came, it was twelve and a half cents short. And it really <laughs> made Warren furious that this guy basically lied to him. So what he did was he he purchased the company and he fired this guy. And he did this five days 
uh, at, right after his father died. And uh, so he let his emotions uh, get in, in the way of the that decision. And uh, I think that was the last time he made that mistake <laughs> because uh, Berkshire was, was just, I mean, it was a disaster. You know, some of the biggest mistakes, I think, are uh, mistakes of omission. So uh, he had an opportunity to get in on Google during their IPO. Mm -hmm. They actually made a presentation to Warren and he, he passed on it. I remember I made a presentation at the University of Iowa and I was talking about how much Warren Buffett loved Amazon and he thought, Jeff Bezos was the best manager in the world, and he's going, and, and he he still thinks that I think, and uh, uh, but he didn't own any Amazon, which made absolutely no sense to me at all. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, we kind of talked about that, and uh, his comeback would be, "I it's a technology company, I don't understand it," and da 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 da. But eventually, Todd and Ted, who are his co-CIOs now, and they manage each manage fifteen billion, they ended up buying some Amazon. Okay, I think they were the first to buy Apple as well, and then Warren started to get into Apple. And I have a whole chapter in the book on the valuation of Apple and the history of his uh, purchases of Apple, and it's really interesting to me. That was one of the most important things that I learned from writing the book. Was that one sentence? So I've done enough research on Warren for my own writings. So I think I know the answer to this question, but I want to hear it in your own words. Okay. How do you think Warren defines happiness? Well, w Warren will tell you how many people that love him. He, he won't say, you know, how many houses he has or the kind of car he has. And I wrote him a birthday card. I try to do it every year, and I sent it to his house 10 days before his birthday, before he got 100 million birthday cards, so I knew he'd read my birthday card, and uh, I, I knew that what would really get him excited and happy, internally happy, was to let him know how big of an effect that he has had, a positive effect on my life. Uh, how he has impacted my life for the better. Yeah, I agree. And and that's what um, that's what I thought you were going to say. And that affirmed um, all of the writings that I've written about Warren talking about happiness. It comes down to love, love for others and service to others, uh, being generous toward others. It comes back tenfold. And if by when it's all said and done, when you're about to hang it up, if you don't have people acknowledging you for all of those things, um, then that's to Warren's point. You want at the end of the road for people to, to, to know that you left a legacy where people loved you and expressed love for you for what you have done in your life or in their lives. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, you know, I went through different stages in my life where I thought, you know, money was the answer. And I realized it wasn't, that was at 23. And then when I got into teaching, I got this feeling that, oh my God, you know, I think I found what I wanted to do because I'm helping people. And that really gave me a feeling 
internally of uh, satisfaction. I, I'm not really sure of the right word, but internally happy about helping others. And it was nothing that I got materialistically from having a new car or, or a big house or whatever. It was, I think that's, you know, one of the keys to success in being happy is helping others. It has played a huge role in my entire life is helping others. You know, in your talks, going to visit him, we see the public persona. That's the, the part that I write about. You know, I read his quotes. But you got to speak to the man in person. Was there any surprises that you were not aware of that we may be surprised by? Huh? Wow. This is something I did not know about Warren. It's not even as much so uh, as what he said, as what what his uh, reactions were when I met him. You could tell <laughs> what he was trying to read you, and he's looking at you, and he's trying to size you up. He hasn't said anything yet. He's just looking at you, and, and from what I read. And and what he's doing is is he's trying to determine whether or not he can trust you. Mm. And that initial moment of meeting him. And you know, I could tell he was kind of doing that with me. Yeah. So but I, you know, I already kind of knew him even before I met him because of my uh you know writing stuff to him and his secretary and uh, it's tough to get directly through him because he's got, you know, a secretary that uh, he doesn't even have a computer. So I mean, I think he still has a flip flop phone. <laughs> uh, so it's it's not so easy to get through to him. But you know, I have gotten through to him through his secretary. Uh, but you know, uh, meeting him in person and being being out to lunch with him three times, I would say that's the big thing is, is that you don't necessarily know what's going on inside his head, but he was definitely trying to size me up mm. when I met him. Yeah. So I didn't really have that much to ask him when I talked to him because I already did all that research on him. So what was it like? What was it like sitting in uh, one of his shareholder meetings? Cause I mean, these are like rock concerts. Yeah, they're they're kind of a combination of a rock concert and a uh, carnival, because <laughs> you know in the the hall they've got all kinds of crap going on, right? Uh, and uh, a cult. Those oh, three things. I think it's a combination because you got all these people there because of Warren. They're there because yeah. of him, right? And Charlie, but. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. You know, uh, <laughs> the people that go there are the best part. You know, I used to go there. I, I don't do this anymore, but <laughs> I was going there for a while with some students and we basically stay up all night and wait in line. And uh, one of our board of uh, trustees flew us out, uh, me and six students, and we were going to the meetings. And uh, we'd wait all night long. We were usually six or seven people back. And we'd sprint. I would sprint 
to get the best seat possible. We were always right behind the board of uh, directors. And um, so it was just a blast. You know, it, you know, it's still fun to go to those. It's not like it used to be because Warren's gotten older, you know, and he does a lot of hesitating uh, when he talks, like uh, uh, things of that nature. But he's still just a brilliant guy, you know, him and Charlie, you know, they're yeah. still, it's just wonderful. But the people that go there are are also just so smart and they're from all over the world. And, you know, this year I had three presentations at the meeting on my book. And one of them were a bunch of Chinese people that came over and, uh, the former CEO of Girls Inc., which is one of the the charities that Buffett gives money to, and me, uh, and we talked at it, and it was uh, uh, streamed to five hundred thousand people in China. The Chinese love Warren Buffett. Mm. The Chinese do, and the the Indians uh, in India. You know, they love Warren Buffett. Mm. I can remember going to the shareholder meeting in 2009, right after the Great Recession, and you could hear a pin drop in that arena. Nobody said a word. 40,000 people. That's how important what they say means to people. Yeah. Wow. Todd, uh, what's your ultimate hope for um, people reading your book? What would you like them to get out of it? I hope that uh, that it will help them financially uh, move them in the right direction towards financial freedom. Uh, and it's already helped me, especially with the biases. It'll make you more aware of what, what you're doing wrong uh, and what you should change through the bias chapter. Reread that a couple times. Uh, and... Also, you know, just like we were talking today, I I really think, you know, how to live a better life is so powerful and so important. You know, if you're doing that, you won't need as much money to be happy. You know, if you're doing things that you really love and that you're happy with and you have a good marriage or, you know, social life, you're giving back to your community and you're helping others. Uh, I just, I think that's, and my students even said that they, they got more out of Buffett from that than they did out of, you know, making money. All in all, I, I, I'm so happy that I, I wrote the book. It took me forever to do. I have a quality publisher, Columbia University Press, Columbia Publishing. My uh, publisher, Miles Thompson, uh, did a great job, and Brian Smith of of helping me with that. It's uh, been translated into six languages, soon to be seven, into Spanish. Uh, there's going to be an audio book coming out this fall, uh, and uh, I'm very happy. And I've gotten a lot of speaking engagements, a lot of podcasts like this one. Uh, and this one's a little bit different than than the others because you're focusing more on the soul mm -hmm. uh, rather than just materialistically, which uh, kind of goes hand in hand with where I'm a professor at. We kind of do that uh, at Gonzaga University. We uh, 
try and educate the person the holistically is what they say. Yeah, it's uh, you know, there's there's a case to be made for humanity as sort of that missing link in the business world, you know, um, and a lot, especially in the leadership realm where we focus so much on the results and the end product and um, the goal at the top of the mountain. And we forget the people along the journey, right. And how we are serving others as part of that journey who are part of our story, the people that we lead. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that we do differently here is to put the focus back on the people. And Buffett, Buffett learned this from Tom Murphy is decentralization and trust. You know, uh, he'll buy a company and then he'll let them run their own company, you know, and he trusts them to go ahead and do that. And, uh, 26 people at his corporate headquarters. He's got 62 separate private companies that he owns in addition to like 375 billion in stock that he owns. Uh, and, and he's got 360,000 employees and he's got 26 people and, and, and one secretary. <laughs> Is that, I just find that fascinating how he's able to do that. And a lot of that just a lot of this just comes down to Tom Murphy. He learned it from Tom Murphy, who was the former CEO of Capital Cities ABC, right? Uh, and he was on Buffett's uh, board of directors. And he just passed away, unfortunately. Well, Todd, we wind down here and uh, we bring it home with two questions, as we do with every guest. Uh, personally, for you, what's really tugging at your heart right now? that you would like us to know? I'm pretty happy with where I'm at and what I'm doing. I, I love that I wrote this book and I love that I'm sharing it with people from all over the world and the people that I'm meeting is just wonderful. You know, one of the things I that I learned from writing the book are all these wonderful people that I'm meeting and, and making new friendships. Uh, one of the byproducts of writing the book and, uh, I feel so fortunate to have gotten to that point and uh, at this stage of my life. That's great. Todd, finally, you close us out with that one thing. What's that one key take key takeaway um, that you'd like to leave us with? I, I want to say do what you love, like what Warren says. Uh, and, and, uh, if you're an entrepreneur, take care of your employees and care about your employees and you'll do a much better job, have a much better company. Um, just caring for other people, uh, and not being so self-absorbed with yourself and what you're doing, but, uh, being involved with your community uh, and helping others. And, and I think good things will happen to you, even if you're running a company or you're just doing your own thing or working as a professor at a university or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, that's about it. Mm, good parting words. 
So if people want to connect with you, where can they go? Uh, I've got a LinkedIn page uh, and I've got a, a Twitter <laughs> X uh, account and I've got a, a, a personal web page, toddfinkel.com. I've got a university website. If you go to Gonzaga uh, University and under the school of business, just hit my name and, and I'll come up there. Todd, it's been fun. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for your wisdom on um, everything Buffett. Thank you for having me on, Marcel. It was wonderful. Yeah. So you can keep the conversation going on social media with hashtag Love in Action Podcast and look for my show notes on my website, as well as a YouTube link uh, to this very episode. And you can find all of that, including Todd's contact information at marcelschwantes.com. Finally, if you're interested in sponsoring an episode of the show, let's chat. You can reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.